0: It's 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As I was saying to Steve Scafidi just a moment ago, it, it has been, from a news standpoint, just an incredible 48 hours. When you think of all the different things that have occurred, of course, you had the the midterm elections the impact on what's going on in the country, the flip of the House of Representatives, the failure of the Democrats to flip the U.S. Senate, and now we move into an era of divided government over the next two years. What's that going to mean? Yesterday, the announcement that President Trump had effectively fired Attorney General Jeff Sessions asked for his resignation. And when you serve as a cabinet official, you serve at the pleasure of the president. And Jeff Sessions is out The question now becomes what happens moving forward, particularly what happens moving forward with regard to the Mueller investigation. And then the story that is breaking today, the horrible story out of California last evening, where you have the decorated Marine Corps veteran who... Engage just walks into this, this college bar essentially and starts, starts shooting. And of course, the evidence indicating that there were symptoms and signs that he had an issue with mental illness. But apparently, people that looked at him said that they didn't think he was dangerous. How could they get that so wrong? We're going to be talking about all of that plus. Some serious, some more serious stories as well. Not that it's possibly much more serious than a gunman walking in and, uh, again, one of these mass murder situations and perhaps some lighter stuff as well. But just an amazing, and amazing time. By the way, as we do every... First couple segments of the program, we're live streaming these segments on Facebook Live, so you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ and watch as we do this. I also mentioned a couple times during the program that uh, a number of people I know listen via podcast. If you're doing that, welcome. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile app page. You can subscribe to the podcast, and then you do not miss a thing. All right, let us start. I want to start with the Jeff Sessions story. As I mentioned yesterday when this story was breaking, I back when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to meet Jeff Sessions a couple times when he was the U.S. Attorney out of Alabama for one of the two districts in in Alabama. And, I mean, that's how he started out. He went on to become... Uh, a senator from Alabama for a number of terms. He was also the state attorney general and ultimately, you know, was elevated to be the attorney general of the United States early on. And this is why this dynamic has been so interesting. Early on, Jeff Sessions was one of the first and most loyal supporters of Donald Trump. If you will remember back in 2015, when, when Donald Trump was first launching his campaign for the presidency, there weren't too many institutional Republicans who took him seriously. Everybody kind of regarded him as this sort of, you know, blowhard billionaire, this TV personality, somebody who's got absolutely no chance. Jeff Sessions, along with Chris Christie and a couple other people, were one of the first Republican office holders that that really got on board with the Trump campaign. As a result... As one of his most loyal advisors, plus, given his background, after Donald Trump became the president, he tabbed Attorney General Jeff Sessions to be the Attorney General of the United States. Sessions, who was well-liked, I mean, he'd been multiple terms in the U.S. Senate, he was well-liked by his colleagues, he was confirmed. And so, you know, he's, he's been there. What happened was, there was almost immediately a rift between him and President Trump, because you've had all these allegations of collusion that the Trump campaign collude with the Russians to try to swing the 2016 election. At the end of the day, I I continue to believe that that investigation is going to go nowhere. But you, you had these allegations that were out there. Jeff Sessions, as attorney general, recused himself from the investigation. What that means is he said, look, I think because I was part of the Trump campaign, I think it would be ethically improper. It would have the appearance of impropriety if I supervised, because normally the investigation is going to be conducted by the Department of Justice. He said, I think it would be ethically inappropriate for me to supervise this investigation into Russian collusion in the campaign, since I was an integral part of the campaign. And from an ethical standpoint, I think uh, Jeff Sessions was absolutely right. That infuriated President Trump from the beginning, and President Trump has always maintained that if if Jeff Sessions had told him that he was going to recuse himself, he would have never appointed him as the attorney general in the first place, because by Jeff Sessions recusing himself – What that led to was the appointment of Robert Mueller, the special counsel, and then we all know how President Trump feels about that. The Mueller investigation has been going on for two years. It has grown exponentially beyond just the investigation into Russian collusion, and now you've got all these other things that are going on as well, and you can tell that it has always been just a very, very sore point for President Trump. He has been very, very abusive to Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, over the last two years. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I've been saying all along, if I was the attorney general, I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't have put up with it. At some point in time, after being publicly berated the fifth, the sixth, the seventh time by the president, I, I would have gone in, I would have handed in my letter of resignation. Jeff Sessions did not do that. Donald Trump did not fire him before the midterm elections because, number one, It would have created a huge issue for Republicans in the midterms. Number two, if Republicans had lost control of the U.S. Senate, it would have been probably impossible for President Trump to get any appointments through, including a new attorney general. So the election is held on Tuesday. We all know the outcome of that. The Republicans lose control of the House of Representatives. They extend their control of the Senate. There's now a working majority. It's going to end up being, I think, 54, maybe 53, but probably 54 Republican senators. And one of the first things that President Trump does is he demands the resignation from Jeff Sessions. Well, you have a lot of people on the left who are going absolutely crazy today, absolutely crazy, because – they are saying, OK, this is going to be the end of the Robert Mueller investigation. You are now going to have the new Trump appointee who is going to be supervising all this It could lead to the firing of Robert Mueller, bringing the investigation back in house. This is going to be terrible. Trump is going to be able to get away with obstructing justice. This is absolutely awful. You've got talk show hosts from the left who are trying to organize protest marches, getting people to storm the, the Washington DC, take to the streets to protest the fact that, um, Robert Mueller might be fired. Um, many people are talking about all a constitutional crisis. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now that Jeff Sessions is gone, removing the conflict of interest, now that the investigation has been going on for two-plus years, now that the midterms are over, should President Trump fire Robert Mueller once and for all, say nothing to see here, we're going to move on, or... Should we allow this investigation to continue, and should we let Mueller finish up doing whatever it is he's been doing over the last two years? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we go from here? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And we do live stream this segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner it's 1219 jeff wagner wtmj it is an interesting time in american history the reason robert Mueller was essentially appointed as special counsel was because of conflicts of interest that then attorney general jeff sessions had because he was a part of the trump campaign that that really poisoned the well when it came to the relationship that the president had with the attorney general And, and by the way i I think Jeff Sessions did a pretty good job as attorney general. I I believe that. But their their relationship was poisoned from the beginning because President Trump always thought it was a betrayal that that the attorney general had to recuse himself. And that led to the special counsel and then all these different investigations. I, I think that what Jeff Sessions did was what he was ethically required to do now. I don't know what conversations they had before the job was offered to him. Should he have told that to the president? Did the subject even come up? I I don't know any of that. But this has always poisoned the relationship between the two of them. Well, now Jeff Sessions is out. Is it time for Donald Trump to direct whoever the new attorney general is to say, hey, get rid of the special counsel? Let's go to bring it in-house. And what would that mean for the country? Let's start with Mark in Elkhorn. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think?
1: I think it's time for this whole investigation to end.
2: It's two years of pretty much unlimited power, unlimited money. And if they can't find something that says, aha, this is it, after that length of time and that amount of effort, there's probably nothing to see. Mm-hmm.
0: Then, if, let me let me ask you this then. If, if there's nothing to see, and, and by the way, I think when it comes to Russian collusion, there probably is nothing to see. But if you fire the special counsel now, or have the attorney general or the designee fire the the, the special counsel, doesn't that fuel the fire? And isn't everybody, or at least a lot of people, going to say, "Oh no, no, no! There, there really was something here, and this is just the way to kind of short circuit that." If there's nothing to see, isn't better? Isn't it better to let them kind of finish the investigation and then go home?
1: I would say yes, but when.
2: Who, who says it's over? When is it
0: right. done? Right. So you're it's, saying that this could drag on another year, could right. drag on another two years, yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just think they're you're never gonna make everybody happy. There's <laughs> always gonna be the viewpoint of, oh, they cut it off because they knew something was coming, instead of having the viewpoint of look, we spent all this time, all this money, all this effort, and we've gotten gotten nowhere. Well I gotta t- it's time to be done.
0: Th- thanks, Nicole, but when when you <laughs> I gotta tell you, Mark, that that's the truism for today's radio show. That that you're you're never going to make everybody happy. There, there's there's no question uh, there's no question about that. No, it's interesting that we're having this conversation because um, on on the History Channel they just came out with a a five part documentary on on Watergate. And I, I was a kid during Watergate, but I'm sort of it's been interesting because I've been I've been watching the different pieces and it brings back memories and stuff. But I mean, it is there are perils. Don't get me wrong. This isn't the Watergate investigation. Donald Trump isn't Richard Nixon. Uh, but but there are interesting parallels that are going on to this. Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, I don't think he should be fired, but I think he should be required to, uh, you know, disclose what he has found so far and where he's at. And I think the problem previous is who knows what Rod Rodenstein was doing uh, as far as keeping an eye on this. I think you know, there's no reason for this to keep going if he doesn't have anything. So right. whether that's talking to Congress or or even the public, disclose it. You know, where are you at? What are, you know, I mean what he's done so far is chase people for everything except the collusion. So right. I
0: mean, right. You know, so kinda of, you're saying up. you're kinda of, you're saying it's time to put up or shut up.
3: Yeah, but I don't think you go out and fire the guy either because that's that's not gonna look real good. I think what? you gotta put a little pressure on him and say, Hey, what do you got so far? You know and, and do it in front of a, a committee maybe congressional committee mm-hmm. and then try and figure out how much longer is this gonna be if it's another three months okay or tell me look you got this much time to wrap it up and and
0: we're gonna right. or, or or show more thanks or, or show more or show more progress on this four one four seven nine nine one six twenty yeah and the, this is See, this is the problem. I I think in many respects, President Trump is in a no win situation here because if he does terminate the investigation and by that, I mean, there's ways that you could do that. You know, he wouldn't directly he wouldn't directly fire the special counsel, but he'd direct his appointee, the acting attorney general attorney general to, to fire him. I think if you do that you are going to give credence to the notion that, oh, there's got to be something going on here. I think you almost have to let it play out. But I do also, I think that you can't let it go on forever. And you do have to say, okay, well, well, now we're going to have a tighter leash on this. And I, I, it would be interesting to know where Robert Mueller is in his investigation. Here's what I think is going to be the interesting thing. And and that is now that the midterm elections are over, Is Robert Mueller going to try to subpoena the president? I mean, all along, we've been told that one of the last things to do in the investigation is he wants to interview President Trump. President Trump doesn't want to be interviewed or his attorneys don't think it would be a good idea for him to be interviewed. So now you're in this situation. What happened? And here's what I think is going to happen. I I think at the moment it's going to be status quo. I don't think President Trump is going to intervene. I think they're going to allow the thing to proceed. Where that might change is if the special counsel decides that he wants to subpoena the president, either for a deposition or give a subpoena to the president to appear in front of a grand jury. I think something like that would perhaps precipitate and cause the president to move to that next step. And I will tell you, if that happens, it's it's going to get. If you think it's all this, this has been ugly before, it's going to get really ugly then. Sandy and Oshkosh. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Sandy. Hello. Hi, Sandy.
4: Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so my opinion on this is fire him now uh, because if you fire him now, uh, in a couple of years we're going to have now presidential election. People will usually forget in few months, and then. It's at least won't affect the presidential election uh, as we get closer to that, because this is, like you said, it's going it ugly. If we start doing uh, cleanup for the president, yeah. So uh, it's a witch hunt. There's nothing coming out of this. This is stupid. that has been going on for two years and still he's going and going and going, wasting our taxpayer dollars. We can't just mm-hmm. keep on letting that happen.
0: Well, now, in in now, in fairness, I mean, the, the Mueller investigation. There have been a number of people that have been indicted, including a number of Russian nationals. Now, none of them are ever going to stand trial because they're they're in Russia, and and you know they're, they're beyond the ability of the United States to grab them, and Russia is certainly not going to extradite them. But I mean, the investigation has turned up efforts on the part of members of, of either the Russian government or Russians who probably have the blessing of their government, who were, were playing around and trying to influence the 2016 election. So it's not like the Mueller investigation has accomplished nothing. Plus, there's been a variety of convictions and things like that. Not directly though related to the underlying reason why this was all started, which was is the President of the United States involved in collusions with collusion with the Russians. Here here's my bottom line of all this, and I, I, I hope cooler heads prevail. Like I say, I think at the moment I would let it play out. See what Robert Mueller has to do next. Is he there's some reports suggesting that he's winding down, that he's getting ready to prepare a report. If that happens Let that that's fine. Let him come out with the report. Then everybody is satisfied. If the president goes out and directs somebody to fire him, you're you are going to have people in the streets and it's going and not. And look, sometimes you you can't allow, you know, the squeaky wheels to define what you end up doing. But I think the president, he's, he's waited this long. I think he would be well advised to let Mueller proceed, not not firing him, just let him go. If 90 days from now we're still in the same situation, well, maybe you revisit that conversation if it appears like nothing's happening. But for the moment, I'd say just just try to play it cool. See where all this goes, because if you don't, well, that's going to be all that everybody's talking about for the next month or two. It's 1238. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, I want to turn the focus to the state, something that the Speaker of the State Assembly suggested yesterday. and. Maybe you're going to be surprised, but I don't think it would be a good idea. Stick around. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So what's the story? They they mysteriously found some votes in Wauwatosa that hadn't been reported, and they just happened to have flipped the state assembly race from the Republican, who looked like he won it, to the Democrat, who now says she won it. Uh, And again, I have just like what happened In Milwaukee on the night of the election, I guess I I have no reason to suggest that there's anything funny going on here, but it just it doesn't look right. You know, if you remember, for all those of you who were political junkies two nights ago, like I was, and you're watching the vote totals, and it looks like, gee, it's going back and forth, and Scott Walker is ahead, now Tony Evers is ahead, and where are the ballots coming from? Then mysteriously, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, it's reported that the city of Milwaukee is sitting on 40-plus thousand ballots that haven't been counted and haven't been uploaded despite the fact that they say that 100% of the precincts are in and, and of course then they upload them and, and that's what makes the difference between, uh, you know, Evers winning or, or Walker winning. And the, this is now the second time the city of Milwaukee had done it. Now again, I, I don't suggest that this was a situation where there was any sort of malfeasance or misfeasance, but you know what? It's, it just, it demonstrates Again, the incompetence of some of the stuff that goes on in the city of Milwaukee, the fact that you presumably have all these absentee ballots and you are the one place in the state of Wisconsin that can't get them funneled in and counted from the minute that the polls open up. And so from a position, a position of transparency, nobody knows that these things are there. And again, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you're saying, okay, this is going back to the bad old days in Chicago or when Lyndon Johnson got elected to the U.S. Senate out of Texas, where it's kind of like, all right, what are the polls? What do the votes look like and how many do we need? And then, gee, all of a sudden, mysteriously, what did they always say? It's it's not who counts. It's it's not when the votes are counted. It's who counts the votes or something like that. Now, I don't think that happened in. Milwaukee, But moving forward from the perspective of integrity of the system, you would think that the city of Milwaukee would figure out a way that they can get the ballots that are cast tabulated in a reasonable fashion. So it's not like, oh, by the way, all the other votes in the state are counted, but we have this flash drive that has 40 some thousand votes on it just from the perspective of transparency and good government. You think that maybe they should be able to do that. All right. Now, speaking about good government, this is this has already been this controversy that has hit the fan. The governor of the state of Wisconsin is incredibly powerful as far as the authority the government has. As the governor has as far as rulemaking and things of the like. The governor has a constitutionally protected ability to issue vetoes, which gives him a large amount or her a large amount of power as well. And over the last eight years, the power of the governor has increased in many respects. All right. Well, for for many people in the legislature, the 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 only governor they've known has been Scott Walker and Scott Walker has wielded the power of the government. Uh, quite in my opinion, efficiently and effectively, some people might disagree, but it doesn 't matter he 's a very very the way the system is set up. the governor is extremely powerful in some communities. the county executive or the mayor is extremely powerful in other communities it's the the legislature which is extremely powerful wisconsin we we give a lot of authority to the governor. all right, so what happens is in a very, very close election, Governor Walker loses. Tony Evers is the governor-elect. There will be what is called a lame duck session of the state assembly and the state senate. What that means is they're going to bring in the existing legislators and, you know, they're going to try to get some stuff accomplished. One of the things on the agenda, for example, is is the Kimberly-Clark bailout. But, but these aren't going to be the legislators moving forward. There's going to be new legislators. Obviously, there's some incumbents that are holdovers, but some people are going to be there who are resigning or they've lost elections or, or whatever. So one of the things that is apparently being floated by the Speaker of the Assembly, Robin Voss, is the idea that knowing that Democrats are now going to control the State House, and Republicans continue to control the state senate and the assembly overwhelmingly. But one of the things that's being floated is, gee, before Governor Walker goes out the door, maybe what we should do is to the extent we can, because the state constitution, you know, says what a lot of the powers of the governor are. But maybe to the extent we can. We can look at some of the powers that we have turned over or has been given legislatively to the governor over the last eight years, and maybe we should roll those back. Take that back from the, the governor's position before Tony Evers comes over. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and this was just an idea that was floated yesterday. There really aren't any specifics that are out there as to what particular powers, to the extent the legislature can rein them in, what they would like to do. But the idea is, hey, before Walker leaves and Tony Evers takes over, should we... Should we pull back some authority from him? 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, you may disagree with me on this. And you might say, Jeff, you're just not seeing the big picture. I will say this. I have always, and I, I've, I've been around long enough that I've seen transitions of power. I've seen wave elections. I've seen this happen in the state of Wisconsin. I've seen it happen nationally. I think doing things like this through a lame duck Congress or assembly or Senate or whatever. I just think it's wrong. I, I, I do and, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't care whether this was Democrats trying to take away power from an incoming Scott Walker or, or vice versa. I think elections have consequences. I think you know people you know, people get it wrong a lot of times when they go out and vote, but but they vote and i think that the idea that here we're going to make massive changes um simply because our party is now going to be out of power or at least not control the you know the, the state house or at least not control the governorship i i just think that, that that's wrong i think it is an insult to the voters now in the next legislative session if the legislature wants to try to you know rein in the power of a governor that's a whole different story but to do it through a lame duck series of actions I think is wrong. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, let us discuss. Marty in Hartford, your first. Good afternoon.
5: Well, I think it's it's kind of it's in the spirit of cooperation, you know, we're all supposed to not be so polarized and we're supposed to get along and for Boss to come out and say that I think it's 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, um <laughs> that's that's really, really rough and really frustrating to think that when his person is in power, he's gonna do that. Um, that's
0: yeah. Un- unfortunate yeah I mean I think I mean I think you have to have a level playing field and I mean I understand I, I, I don't believe these lame duck sessions, whether it's Congress or the state legislature I, I think they need to be very careful about what they do because again you're it's perceived I think by the general public sometimes as if you're trying to pull a fast one. And if the Republicans, were to go ahead with the blessing of Governor Walker because he'd have to sign off on any legislation and decide that they're simply going to scale back his position. I think that there would be a backlash. I think that would negatively affect the legacy of Governor Walker. I think it would look like again kind of sour grapes. And, and even though, even though there might be different things and different powers that. I didn't have a problem with Scott Walker having that I might have a problem with Tony Evers having. That's why you end up having elections. And if it turns out that the governor, Governor Evers, I don't know, does all sorts of bad stuff with the powers that he have. Well, he's up for reelection in four years. 414-799-1620. What do you think about this? We discuss and We continue the discussion in just a moment. 1244 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1247 Jeff Wagner WTMJ look here's one of the realities in Wisconsin over the next two years it is not going to be a a time of of transformative movement the last particularly the first four years of the Walker administration where I I think it it was transformative You, you really saw a lot of stuff accomplished the reality is the next four years are not going to be like that or at least certainly the next two years. Why? Because you have divided government. Tony Evers is going to be the Democrat governor. He will he will undoubtedly be sent legislation which is passed by the Republican majority in the Senate and in the Assembly. He can block it by not signing it. Similarly, when Evers wants to come out and, and if he wants to do major things, big-time spending or whatever – He's not going to be able to get that through because, again, you've got overwhelming majorities in the Assembly and Senate. I I do think we're looking after years of transformative action. You're looking at essentially gridlock for the foreseeable future, certainly the next two, probably the next four years. So that's the reality that we have. I think for the Republicans over the next month through a special lame duck session to try to say we want to take away powers from the governor that Governor Walker had that Tony Evers will have in a couple months. I, I don't think that would play well with the electorate. And I just think it would be wrong. As I always say, elections have consequences. 414 Barb and Hartland. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Thank you for taking my call. Hi Barb. I agree with you, Jeff. I think that it is a
6: bad move. I think that a legislator that would vote that way or would change those
1: uh, existing powers would be looked upon with disdain from the electorate. Mm-hmm. And possibly then the next election would be uh, a telling thing because the, the the public is not going to forget that.
0: Well, and, and, again, and in, I, addition,
1: I... in addition, addition. Remember when Harry Reid did this with the Senate? He changed the rule, right? And it came back, and it the Democrats. Yep. So um, you know, all all fair, love, and war, and I think it has to be equal.
0: Well, I mean, I agree. And th- thanks for the call. And, and just for for people who disagree with me, and I'm getting a number of texts saying, "No, Jeff, you don't understand. Democrats play dirty, so Republicans have to respond to this." No, here, here here's the bottom line. I, I try to be intellectually consistent on this, and and if, for example, this were. The 2010 elections, and Governor Walker was coming in, and you had Democrats that were on there, and Governor Walker was going to be sworn in in January of 2011, and you had Democrats that controlled the Assembly and the Senate, and they were trying to do the same thing. I got to tell you, I would be screaming bloody murder about this. Oh, this is wrong, etc. Well, I, I don't. I don't think the dynamic changes just because it's a Democrat governor who's coming in. And for people who might be tending to panic, saying, "Okay, we, we've got to review this." Again, one of the things you have to keep in mind about this whole dynamic is we're looking at gridlock here. That that's and and some people might think it's good, some people might think it's bad, but that is just the the reality here. There are checks for people who are conservatives, who are concerned about what Tony Evers is going to do. Well, there, there are there's all sorts of significant checks on him, and that is an overwhelming majority of Republicans in the state assembly and an overwhelming majority of Republicans in the state Senate. That's where you have the checks and balances. Dave and Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey,
7: Jeff. How are you doing?
0: Real well, thank you. Would this be a good idea for Republicans to do?
7: No, it'd be horrible. Like, in fact, just the fact
5: that even just the fact that he floated it out there right now is already causing, yeah, you know, a
0: disruption. And, well, right, because it's already like, started. Now, Tony Evers is he's talking about this. You know, Peter Barca is talking about this, and this is it's it's just a it looks like sour grapes. I'm afraid.
5: Well, it's kind of like you're starting. You're already starting out with you know with your your leg in a hole. I yeah. mean, it's just really what it, you know comes down to. And then, like your previous caller said, and I was going to mention that too, is you know. You know, look what happened with uh, Harry Reid. I mean, that came back to bite him in the butt big time. Right. You know? So, I mean, I, I just don't understand. Well, first of all, I don't understand what powers they think they be re, re- removing anyway. I'm not really sure how i dealt with.
0: Well, right, and, and see, and that's why, with all due respect to Robin Voss, who I like, who I've known for years and years, if you were going to float an idea like this, you would have thought that you would have floated something specific. I mean, if there was something specific that they wanted to take away from the governor's office some power, okay, maybe float, say specifically what that is, so you can at least argue it on the merits. Now just simply saying, hey, we think maybe the governor now has too much power, and we want to take some of that power away, that, it's almost indefensible, I think.
5: Yeah, I mean, if it would have been like a line item veto or something like that, I mean, you know, whatever, but... I mean, actually should should have been discussed amongst themselves anyway, right. because somebody would have talked them off
0: the ledge yeah i right i, I agree, and thanks to God. and as far as the veto goes that 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 's in the state constitution, I mean the Wisconsin governor used to have even a, a broader power when it came to, to vetoes, you know, and in order to, like, shape legislation and things like that. That that power was scaled back somewhat a number of years ago. But the, the, the veto power is in the Constitution, so the legislature can't change this anyways. In any event, and I, and I understand some of you disagree with me and you think all is fair and love war and politics, I, I think this is a bad start. Elections have consequences, and to say at this point in time, gee, while we are still in power and while we still have the governorship and while we still and we're always going to have, at least at this point in time, control of the assembly and the legislature and the Senate, let, let's try to make changes. I, I, I think it's a bad idea. And you know what? I don't think Governor Walker would go along with it. I, I could be wrong on that, but I don't think he would go along with it. I think that would affect his legacy as well. All right. 1254 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have always believed that the office of the presidency deserves a certain amount of respect because whether he's the president, as of your political party or not, he is the president of the United States. And some days there'll be a woman, and we'll say he or she is. But so far, historically, it's always been a guy. Um, I remember having the opportunity, and I've had the opportunity to meet... A number of the presidents since uh, since President Reagan, and, I, and I, I've always I've always taken them up on that opportunity because even though Bill Clinton, um, I did not vote for Bill Clinton. It was it, you're, you get a chance to meet the president of the United States. How cool is is that? So I think that there's a degree of of decorum. That the president is entitled to, and I understand some people are listening to me now, and they're rolling their eyes, say, "Oh, this is Donald Trump. Don't you understand? He's entitled to no respect at all." Well, I, I don't, I, I don't buy that. There has also always been a degree of contention between the the news media and particularly reporters that cover the White House and and the White House. It's, I think, worse now than it has ever been. And I, I, I've, the word I have used, and I, I use it, knowing the full implications of this is I think that there's a number of reporters who cover the White House who absolutely loathe Donald Trump. One of the best indications of this, and I've told this story before, that Showtime came out with this, this feature on the New York Times and the New York Times reporters who cover the White House during the first um, year of the, the Trump presidency. And it's an interesting thing to watch, uh, but you can just tell the reporters hate Donald Trump. I mean, they hate him. They 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 think he's... Shouldn't have won the election. They think he's a liar, et cetera, et cetera. They just loathe him. That, that's the word. And, and you can just tell. And, and of course, their coverage, I believe, reflects that, which isn't to say that, as I've said before, President Trump brings a lot of the stuff on himself with his over the top tweets and picking fights and punching down with people and all that. But I, I think it's also fair to say that the, the news media And I'm talking about this in general terms, but, you know, many of these reporters are extremely thin skinned and they're not used to be called being called out. And when President Trump says it's fake news or you're a liar, you're the enemy of the people, they they get their They get their backs up. And and maybe that's a natural reaction. But that's where we are nowadays. Jim Acosta, who is CNN's White House reporter. How can I say this? He's a jerk. He he's he's a jerk. And and he he clearly does not care for the president. And by the way, being a jerk doesn't mean that you're not a good reporter. I mean, maybe maybe being a jerk helps you become a a great reporter because it it causes you to, you know, press issues and not take no for an answer and things like that. But but at least in his professional dealings with the White House, he's he's a jerk. He is extremely confrontational. He shows no deference. And he's a thorn in, in their sides. His reporting, I think, is extremely biased. That's my impression. But that, that, that's fine. It's what CNN wants. It's how he goes about his job. So you are probably familiar with this. Yesterday, President Trump has this hour plus long rambling sort of news conference talking about the midterms and as president trump does he goes off on all these tangents he blames some republican congressional candidates who lost on the fact that they didn't embrace him you know he talks about you know what's going to happen in the future you know it it was a very it was just this sort of sort of stream of consciousness conversation and so after a point it comes time for questions President Trump calls on Jim Acosta, the CNN reporter, who has again been a very, very in your face, confrontational sort of reporter. He calls on him, I think, to start the questioning. And then we're off to the races. The reporter stands up and says, All right, you, you called the migrant caravan an invasion. Well, we all know it's not an invasion. All right. So again, it's not a question it is a challenging it's a statement this is what i think you're you know it's not an invasion it's something else president trump then says okay no it's an invasion and then these two start bickering and it's this back and forth at one point in time then president trump says okay you're you're done You know, and they try to take the microphone away from him. He doesn't want to give up the microphone. He wants to ask another question. And then President Trump goes and says, you know, you're a terrible human being. I don't know why CNN has you, et cetera, et cetera. You have probably seen this. And then, you know, we we move on to other sorts of questions. Afterwards, the White House elects to pull the press credentials of, of Jim Acosta, so he he's no longer going to be able to come into the White House. He's no longer, I mean, he can still cover the White House, but he doesn't have the, the access to the White House and the press rooms and things like that. The White House says that he got physical with one of the interns who was trying to take the microphone back from him. He says, no, that that's not the, that's not the case. This is just clearly an effort by the Trump administration to try to, I don't know, suppress the First Amendment and freedom of the speech of the press and all that. All right. It's, it's just an amazing show. I just, yesterday I was watching this whole thing, just kind of shaking my head about it all. But let us discuss. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. In the course of the conversation, I promise, I will tell you where I come down on this. But, but here is my question to you. Did, did CNN's Jim Acosta deserve to have his press credentials pulled? Was he simply doing his job as a reporter, and should he be allowed to continue that? Is this a petulant, over-the-top reaction by President Trump? Did President Trump essentially invite this? What happened? All right, we've got to take a quick break, and we'll be back with your calls in just a minute. It's one fifteen. No? Okay, we are restarting. the. Comp- my producer is talking to me in my head. We we do not have a break set. So, all right, 414-799-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Even better, we can go right to the calls. 414-799-1620. Did Acosta deserve to have his press pass pulled? Is this an overreaction by the White House? Is this a situation where you say a pox on everybody's house, 414-799-1620. that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and this of course doesn't come out of the clear blue. This is something that goes on and this is there's been all sorts of altercations between the President and Jim Acosta leading up to this. So that this is we, we are not talking about something that again this is a first time. All right let's start with Doug in Milwaukee. Doug you're first good afternoon.
2: Yes I thought it was very unprofessional of the a reporter. And I thought that it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe what was happening. If an employee would talk to their employer like that, most of us would be fired mm-hmm. by but,
0: our employers. Well, well, of course, yeah, but, but, of course, the, the reporter would say, wait a second, this isn't an employer-employee. Donald Trump is not my boss. I'm here to cover the White House, and I cover the White House by asking tough questions. Yes, well,
4: the President of the United States
2: is even more important than the employer. You should not even... I just could not believe somebody would talk to the president of the United States yeah. like that. And I could not believe that they would not take the microphone
4: from him. Mm-hmm.
0: Does the Okay, th- thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me get the general sense. your general sense as, of this. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon.
7: Hi, hey. Good afternoon,
3: Jeff. Hi,
0: Mike.
7: Yes, I do believe
3: Jim Acosta went over the line. Trump asked, uh, called on him first, and uh, Acosta asked him a question. He answered it. And then he wanted to press on, ask more questions, and Trump said no. He wanted to move on to more reporters. Wouldn't give up the mic. I just think that Jim Acosta is kind of a jerk and uh, mm-hmm. deserves to get the mic taken away and taking his papers away.
0: Why? Why do you think the president called on him first? I mean, because uh, <laughs> why, why, <laughs> why did he? Why did he call on him? Because he could have he could have frozen him out. He could have just ignored him for the whole press conference, and then we wouldn't have had any of this. Uh,
3: well, I think he just wanted to get rid of him and a thorn in his side and he wanted to put him on the spot and, uh, and Acosta obliged him.
0: Okay, so you you think that the president knew something like this was going to happen and he was kind of baiting Acosta.
3: I think he kind of felt it and he uh, baited
7: him
2: and uh, caught him and said, see ya.
0: Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Kathy in New Berlin. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Kathy.
6: Um, no one's heard from the intern herself. What does she feel happened? Mm-hmm. If she felt that that he went over the line, then I think President Trump was in his right to do what he did. If she feels that he didn't touch her or push her inappropriately, then I think President Trump shouldn't have done what he did. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as Acosta goes, um, I don't think you should be able to tell what side of the aisle uh, reporter is on.
0: Right. And you can clearly that that ship has certainly sailed. I mean, there's no question. And see, it was interesting to me that the way this whole thing started off, it's not like the reporter asked a question. I mean, there really wasn't a question. There was kind of a statement. You've called the migrant. Mr. President, you've called the migrant caravan an invasion. It's clearly not an invasion. And then you're off to the races. I mean, it's sort of like, all right, let's that's not a question. It's a I think that you're wrong. Now let's go from there. So, I mean, Acosta, it really, it wasn't your typical sort of question. It was clearly something that was decide, determined to try to get under Trump's skin. Correct. Does, he, does the president look bad, though, by, by pulling the press credentials?
6: I don't think so, because he's, he's just doing what he's, what he's always done. I don't think anybody should expect President Trump to do anything different.
0: Okay. All right. 414 799-1620. Again, I'm going to tell you where I come down to this in just a couple minutes, but I wanna I, I wanna get your reaction to this because trust me, this this is this is another huge story that's out there. You've got a number of reporters who are saying, well, we, we should boycott we should boycott covering the White House because until you know you give Acosta his his thing back. This is an attack on freedom of the press. There there's a number of people that are, are saying that is that the case? And how did you perceive this, Michelle in Delafield? Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Hi, how Hi, are Michelle.
0: you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
6: I I'm embarrassed. I think I think it was just, just so disrespectful. I think other um, countries, if if this happened in another country, they nobody would talk to their leader that way. I don't even know if they'd be able to go home that evening. <laughs> I, it, it, it's terrible, and I think I think from uh, the day one, they have baited Donald. I, I'm I'm shocked that he's still alive. Um, he does his best, and I think he should have stopped. Mm-hmm. Stop.
0: So you think that the tone to and the back. tenure the, the, it was just so disrespectful that 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 the reporter crossed the line.
6: I do. I don't think he should lose his job, but I do. It was so obvious. I mean, every everybody just seems to poke to get the worst out of Donald. And like he said, I want to be soft.
0: I want to be that. You know, and I think he needs it. I oh, really? I oh, no. Now, well, see, Michelle, I think. See, is that, you know, I think he likes the conflict. I think he, I the it, yeah. I think I he loves the give and take. No, <laughs> now, I don't know. I don't know. They, I mean, I mean. Well, I, I would just tell you this: he the, he calls on Acosta first. I mean, it's it's he he could have called on everybody in that room and, and not called on Jim Acosta. He calls on Jim Acosta right out of the box. So it and and he knows who jim acosta is he was clearly i think ready to launch into this and i think he was clear and and again i'm I'm not judge i'm not judging this right at the moment but the president was clearly looking for i think he was looking for a fight because again if you just want to freeze somebody out you can freeze them out you just don't call on them you call on 30 other people and you let them sit there 414-799-1620 let's talk to um, let's see brian in brookfield brian you're in wtmj good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you I, think?
3: I think he was looking for a fight, and they both crossed the line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, tr- Trump, he could have picked anyone, but he owns the ball. And when he got mad, he took his ball and he went home. Mm-hmm. It's just, its you know, could Acosta, could Acosta have handled it better? Absolutely.
8: Right. Right.
3: Could, could Trump have handled it better? Absolutely. So it's. I I think they're both at fault equally. I don't think Acosta should have his credentials revoked. Right, he's a reporter. Let him report.
0: Well, right, and if you want to, and if you want to freeze him out, you freeze him out. I mean that that's that's not uncommon. There's all sorts of politicians who feel that. This particular newspaper or this T V station or this reporter is hostile to me, so they just don't deal with them. You know, they they just don't end up dealing with them. So, you know, that's one of the situations as well. Okay, thanks for the call. Again, I'm gonna tell you where I come down on this in just a couple of minutes, but I, I am curious as to your reaction to this. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We we can take a break now? All right. All right. A little bit behind. Let's take a quick break. They tell me the technology has worked out. One hundred twenty three, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, see, that's this. This is a plus. Don't tell the new bosses that we can't play the commercials right now. Don't don't tell them that. This means we can just go on and take more phone calls and do more of the show. All right. Four one four 414-799-1620, Commercial free. Right at the moment. Let's talk to Clark in Milwaukee. Clark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
7: Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for taking me. Yes, sir. Call. So, Jeff, you know, I'm from the old country. I was raised with respect. So right. I don't think it was appropriate freedom of speech. Not, you know, the, I understand where the press comes from, but just because they have freedom of speech doesn't mean that they can be as disrespectful. He did actually brush against her arm. I watched it three times on YouTube last night just because of yeah. the controversy. I
0: think it was I, I think it was kind of incidental contact, though, don't you? Yeah. I mean, she was.
7: But it should have never happened. It should have never... He should have been courteous enough just to hand the the microphone back. You know what? There's always another chance for him to ask the president in another setting uh, as to uh, the invasion and this. Right. It just was... uh,
0: Do you think the president baited him?
7: I'm speechless that... You know, like like I said, the president and him had their their, uh, incidents prior to what happened uh, yesterday. Uh, I just feel... When you have the privilege to be at the White House and you have the privilege to, to ask mm-hmm. the the president uh questions, I think if the President has to sit down, I think you should
0: you should right. just sit and, down. Right, right. Right. And thanks. And then and then of course, 'cause you're always going to get You're going to get the last word, because at the end of the day, you're going to be outside. You're going to be doing your stand-up however you want to do it. Let's see. I'm swamped with uh, text. Hi, this is uh, Kimberly. Kimberly texts, yes. Trump was being antagonistic. He knew what he was doing when he called on that reporter. Additionally, calling a reporter a bad person and attacking his character was shameful. Trump is a hypocrite doing exactly what he accused the reporter of. 414-799-1620. Dawn in Pewaukee. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dawn. Um, I totally, totally agree with the president. I think that guy was not the only one that he asked to sit down who didn't want to sit down, but they did. This guy was way out of line, and I think President Trump, if he baited him, he baited him. The guy should be smart enough to know when he Mm -hmm. said sit down, you should sit down. Right. So I think he was totally within his rights, and he should not be allowed back in the Now,
0: the reporter would say, look, I'm just trying to do my job. I've got these questions to ask. Why are you attacking me individually? Okay.
6: He didn't ask a question. He baited them. I mean, he baited Donald Trump.
0: Yeah. Right, right, right. If he
6: had a regular question, it could have been answered, but he didn't. And there were a couple other reporters like that. But on the whole, they were respectful.
0: Well, I mean, and again, you know, it's... It's sort of interesting that this happened yesterday because I was saying, as I was saying a couple of minutes ago, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this history channel documentary on, on Watergate. And it, it's interesting. I mean, President Nixon at the height of Watergate would come out and have these different press conferences and stuff. And it's interesting to watch the way the press was interacting with him. In many respects, it's very, very similar. 414 1620 Let's talk to Debbie in Oak Creek. Debbie, you're on WTMJ hi, I hi
6: was, uh, calling because i just wanted to uh dispute what the woman said on how it was the intern you know like the way she felt compared to and then she would go with her right. i think president trump might have baited him but seeing how he's been treated uh treating sarah sanders and not being able to really say anything being the press secretary maybe he just wanted to get this done and over with you know he is re- disrespectful there's been a lot of media screaming at these press conferences. There's no, uh, they show no respect for that office.
0: Right, right. So I mean, you just think that this was uh, President Trump perhaps went into this thinking, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this, I'm gonna fix this guy's wagon." Not, not necessarily. We're gonna pull his credentials at the beginning, but here I'm gonna, I'm gonna call on him, and then I'm gonna shut him down if he gets out of line.
6: Right. It started uh, very civil. I mean, it kept going on, and then when. We saw something different on that, on that uh, you know when he pulled away the microphone. Right. Maybe even more than the press, maybe even more than the, the girl felt herself.
8: Mm-hmm. But it
6: was, it was, you know, it was intentional. He kept asking questions, so you have to shut him down at some point. There has to be some type of civility brought back into, you know, him standing there and being available to be transparent.
0: Should he have not called him in the first place then? right well I, so, no that, that's a question you know should he have just not called on him in the first place and avoided this whole thing
6: no nope, i think he should have called on him because you know tomorrow it's going to be sarah up there again she's only allowed to go so far with this i think call on him see where he's taking this and then if you need to shut him down and maybe just take it away for a few days just to show him you know you're there it's it's not your right to be there, right? you know, you actually Correct. get to be there where other reporters would love to have those today,
0: Good enough. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
8: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Hey, so uh, as far as as far as far the first question, uh, do, you, do you think you picked Anacosta first? I, I think it was more of a tear off the Band-Aid uh, and, and question, let them have the question, get it out of the way, and do it. Um, cause, because, you know, if he didn't pick on him or he avoided him altogether, they would say, oh, look at the president. He's avoiding questions from, you know, the left or whatever, or the right. media. So he, they, to avoid that, he, he let him speak his mind. Acosta kind of acts like a white knight. He's on this crusade, like this anti-Trump crusade. Right. He's been doing this from the beginning. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of how he acts. I mean, in, 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 in my opinion, I think Acosta is kind of the antagonizer in this whole thing.
0: Oh, there's no question. I mean, there's no question. He is a provocateur, and was, and that, that's how he operates. But of course, he's not the only provocateur that you've had in the news media over the years.
8: Right. my my final My final point is is as far as the uh, intern goes, um, I, I guess it, it, the the contact wasn't on, in itself um, like egregious. Right. However, you know, had I been had I been married to that intern or something like that, or it had been your daughter, I, I think I think it would have bothered me. Because it was it was slightly aggressive, slightly dismissive, you know, like, you know, yeah. you know, like she's not really there or not really to be not a person to be reckoned with or to, like, listen to. Right. And it was a little, in my, my opinion, disrespectful and would have bothered me had it had it been my daughter or my wife. It definitely would have bothered me.
0: Fair enough. So, OK, you know,
8: Acosta's got an answers to that.
0: Good enough. Thanks. For, all right. All right. Here is my take on the whole dust up between President Trump and, and Jim Acosta. I, I, I think, and I, I go back to how I started this, this conversation. I think that you can have no respect at all for the man or the woman that holds a particular position, but that you have to have respect for the office. I, I, I believe that firmly. You, you have to have respect for, for the office. I also think that the press and the people that are hired by the press have an important job to do. You are the check on, you know, on the government. So I, I, and I understand that it's always going to bring tension. There's always going to be the reporters that that have that that tension with the the the, the whoever they're covering, whether it's the governor or the president or a senator or a public figure, whatever. There's always going to be that tension that, that goes on, but still. That doesn't mean that you get past and don't have to at least in your personal dealings show some of that respect. I think Jim Acosta w- was wrong in in the way he approached the president yesterday. And again, it's it's this sort of advocacy journalism. It's not where you, you're not really asking questions. You're you're making statements. You're you're trying to debate in this case the president of the United States. You're not asking him a question. You're saying, well, you know, you. Obviously, you were, you know, you were wrong when you talked about this caravan as being an evasion. It's clearly not an invasion. Well, once you start off by saying that, you're, you're kind of off, off to the races. And I think, I I think Acosta was disrespectful. And I, I think if I were the people at CNN, his bosses, I, I, I would be and I understand they're they're trying to get ratings and they're, they're appealing to the people who just don't like President Trump. And so they want that sort of confrontation here. We're not going to take anything from this president. So to so show it. But if I were the people at CNN, I think I would be kind of talking about, you know, again, showing some respect for that office. Now, having said that, I, I don't think there's any question at all that President Trump baited him. He called on him first. And, and clearly, I think President Trump was. Was looking for this fight. He kind of knew what was going to happen. He was probably ticked off that you had this whole situation where, again, Acosta had done these different types of things, and I think he was ready for this. And one of the, the things that the, the president does that bothers me is that this whole notion of punching down. You know, where, he, I mean, who cares about Jim Acosta? You're the leader of, of the free world, and I, I think. When the president stands there and talks about how you know you're a horrible person and you know CNN is a failing news network or whatever, I I think when the president of the United States gets personal like that in this like one-on-one public confrontation with a reporter, I I think you're you're punching down and you're you're diminishing the office of of the presidency. Now I understand there's a lot of Trump fans that say yeah that he got he gave what he deserved. I, I think the president. I think he would have been better off if he were to take the high road. So where does that bring us? Should they have pulled his press credentials? I, I think, candidly, even though Acosta was, in my opinion, disrespectful, I think, th- I think by pulling his press credentials, again, you create this unnecessary issue and, and you, make, you make yourself perhaps look petty. I think any – contact. I mean, I've watched the videotape multiple times. I think any contact with the intern when she was trying to get the microphone back, I think that was incidental. I, I don't think this was an assault type of situation or anything like that. It was just, again, a reporter who was a bit out of control. How do I think I would have handled it? Well, I I, I mean, I wouldn't have pulled his press credentials. I would have just frozen him out. All right, fine. You know, If CNN wants to send you over to cover the White House, that's fine. But we're not going to answer your questions. And you can sit there, and now if you disrupt – if you disrupt something, um, you know, we're going to toss you out, but we're we're just not going to call on you. That's, I, I think, how I would have handled th- this whole thing. But, again, the president was sending signals that he's not going to take any guff or whatever word you want to use. I'm not sympathetic to Jim Acosta because I think he crossed the line. But from the perspective of the president, again, this was another one of these examples of what I describe as as punching as punching down. And so that's it. All right. We're going to see if we can take a break. Stick around. It's 139. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 142. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Ted Thompson will enter the Packers Hall of Fame in the spring. Is there a list of his best moves aside from drafting Aaron Rodgers? Hmm. Share your thoughts and get Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio's list this evening. Tune in. 6.35 Six thirty-five on the Miller Lite Packers playbook. And, and by the way, I don't want anybody to come away from that last conversation thinking that I, I think you need to send you know candy and flowers to Jim Acosta if his feelings are hurt. As I started off, I think the guy's a jerk. I think he has been a jerk. I think it's this part of this this kind of advocacy journalism nowadays, where people who are supposed to be reporters aren't aren't reporters. They are in fact advocates. They are people who do. I don't know, uh, their, their own opinion guised as being a reporter. Look, I do a show. It's no secret. It's my personal uh, opinion. I mean, what I do is I think the equivalent of what a newspaper columnist does, but I do it in a spoken word version. But, I mean, I don't pretend to be a reporter. But what bothers me is some of these people who work in the mainstream media, they pretend to be reporters when what they are is they are, again, advocacy journalists, but they pretend to be something different. So no no candy or flowers for me, for for Jim Acosta. At the same time, I, I think, I think sometimes the president diminishes the office of the presidency. Who cares about a guy like Jim Acosta in the first place? And do you need to call him out? And do you need to identify him? You're a terrible human being. Um, I, now, again, that I think increases Acosta's cachet among some circles. They're going, "Oh yeah, you you really got under the president's skin." We will see what happens. All right, let's switch back to the elections on Tuesday. This is an amazingly undercovered story. I alluded to it yesterday. Um, Journal Sentinel has a piece out about it today at JS Online. This was the election for school referendums. Wisconsin voters voted to spend $1.3 billion dollars in increased taxes into their local public schools, in general, this raised property taxes and made 2018 a record year for school district referendums. Get this, um, in Wisconsin, voters approved 77 referendums by school districts asking to borrow money for capital projects or exceed state mandated revenue limits. All right. They rejected just five. One point, so 77 yes, five no. All 23 ballot questions passed in southeastern Wisconsin, totaling $556 million. The, uh, one of the granddaddies was in Wauwatosa, where voters decided to, um, spend 124 Million dollars, $124 million, which will raise property taxes on a $250,000 home by $470 a year for the next two decades. This referendum passed with 61% of the vote. Waukesha, Waukesha voters approved a $60 million referendum for three middle schools. Oak Creek Franklin voters approved a $60.9 million school referendum. Uh, let's see. Pewaukee school, that referendum was approved. $39.7 million. Seems to me that every, pretty much every school district that asked for tens of millions of dollars got it. All right. I have a why question. And I understand sometimes this program works the best when I present things kind of as a, as a yes or no, and then people can react. But but I, I have a why this this is kind of the culmination of a trend that we've been seeing over the last couple of years, where voters who in the past have been concerned about fixed incomes and property taxes and things like that have pretty much now said yes almost any time a school district asks for money to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. So my question is a simple one. Why are all these referendums passing? What is going on in Wisconsin in 2018 that maybe wouldn't have gone on in 2014 or 2012 or or 2010? But now it seems any time a school district asks for Tens of millions of dollars for the schools, the voters end up saying yes. Why is that happening? I have a theory, but I'm curious as to yours. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why would all these referendums pass? And if you voted for a referendum in, in your area, why did you decide to spend that money? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. we discuss in just a moment. It's 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner. We are back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller. My pal, Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. From Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 630, the live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience. That means you, and you can be part of it. This is in big, black, bold letters. Buy tickets now. A limited number of tickets remain available. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word CHRISTMAS to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. if and I, that that is true there's only a handful of tickets left that's uh so if you're thinking you want to go and we would love to see you it's a lot of fun get your tickets now all right fair is fair it used to be i would do segments ripping on school districts because they they'd get sneaky with their school referendums they do them on days when when nobody was around we're going to vote in the middle of august you know um on on a special election day to try to sneak the school referendum through because they knew that if they did it on a regular election day, it would go down in flames. I used to criticize that. I used to criticize these these school districts that came back year after year. Racine was noted for that. I mean, it's the you know voters would say no, and then it seems like six months later they're back with another referendum, and voters say no, and then they come back another six months as they keep trying to ask, figuring once you're going to say yes, and then that's all we need. School districts don't have to do that anymore. Anytime they seem to put one of these referendums on the ballot, it it passes. These numbers from Tuesday are absolutely staggering. Seventy-seven school referendums across the state are approved. What, four that you say no to? Uh, Around here, school districts asking for tens of millions of dollars in referendums, and voters are overwhelmingly saying yes, raising their property taxes as they go along. What is going on here? Let's talk to Mark in Wauwatosa. Mark, you're on 620 hey, WTMJ. Hi, Mark. You, you, uh, you're going to be paying for this referendum for quite a while now.
2: Quite a quite a while. And um, I'm in real estate now. And one of my favorite sayings in real estate is, when good times are bad, people think it's never going to end. When good times are good, people think it's never going to end. Hey, and we're in a good time right now. The economy's booming. Money is flowing. And so I think, like, like you asked, 2018... Yes, we're going to, they're all voted. Now, I personally voted no, Jeff, because right. in Wauwatosa, we're spending $125 million. I think the schools deserve it, but $125 million. Right. And I just, I just think people can't wrap their minds around some of these numbers. Mm-hmm. It's like monopoly money. I mean, when I tell you we're, in, we're $20 trillion, you know, in U.S. debt, you can't even fathom those numbers. Yeah. So $125 million, I just heard, uh, my dad called me up the other day. He said, you know how much our taxes are going to go up per year? And the numbers are crazy, Jeff.
1: They're
0: right? Crazy. And well, just- I mean, for, if you have a quarter million dollar home in Wauwatosa, it's going to be four hundred and seventy dollars a year increase in your property taxes for the next two decades. I mean, that's that's big money.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's big money. And just and again, people vote yes when good times are good. If this was ten years ago, it would have been no across the board. So I just think people need to you know think about what's going to happen. This market, this economy, could turn very quickly and i just think it's now we're locked in so
0: it's too bad yeah no, thanks to so go. well i mean and, and and it's not just Wauwatosa. i mean it's all across the area sandy sends me a text jeff it's because our economy is great right now and people are working and then he goes and say losing scott walker after agreeing to all these local referendums is going to prove to be just awful here's hoping our economy can withstand the upcoming change in leadership and in politics no you're uh, it and look and i understand part of this might be hey it's for the kids we need to spend the money. The, of course, the issue becomes, you know, does this spending translate into better education? Oh, you've got a nicer gym, or you've got this, and this is nicer. Does that necessarily translate into the kids being educated better? 414-799-1620. Pete in Waukesha. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi, Pete.
1: Like I was talking to your uh, screener there, right I went to school, never once thought about what the cafeteria looked like. It wasn't a dump. It was a clean place to eat. That's all I cared about. What bothers me now is the schools are following suit, so to speak. Maybe one got through something. One got something through. And uh, oh, now we got to do our cafeteria because it doesn't look good anymore. The carpeting, nothing phrased me about carpeting. I didn't have carpeting in school when I went to school. It didn't bother me. And now they're changing it. I see rolls and rolls and rolls of carpeting by our Waukesha schools. It bothers me. I'm sure it bothers a lot of other people. If a furnace goes out, you know, heating system goes out, of course, you got to fix it. Windows are bad. You got to fix them naturally. But the part about the painting and carpeting and making a uh, cafeteria look better because they think it's going to enhance students' learning ability and the new thing, they got the commons, you know, where you sit out there and talk and and react.
0: Uh, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, you know, <laughs> I, th- and, I mean, and for, and at some point in time. I, I hate to use the cliche, but the cliche is the chickens do come home to roost. And and I understand the way this is is spun is if you don't vote for this referendum, you hate the kids or you hate the school system. And, and that's that's not I, that that's not necessarily the case. Matter of fact, that that's not the case. It's just this balancing because keep in mind, this is going to have to be paid for. And if you are a senior citizen living on a fixed income. All of a sudden, you know your your taxes. I mean, again, let's stick with the Wall with Toast example. We could find others. I mean, you you live in a quarter million dollar house and maybe you've been in that house for a long, long time, it's now going to cost you $500 more a year simply because of the school referendum. And then you can extrapolate that out to all the different districts as well. So I understand that some people play that class warfare. And here, this is, we're going to, um you know, if you don't want to do this, you, you don't care about the children, et cetera, et cetera, maybe it is a function of good times, but I, I think people are going to go back, and I think you might – we're going to look at some of the school spending referend- these referendums that were passed a couple days ago and have been passed over the last several months. And I, I think three or four or five years from now, I, I think people are going to start to say, what, what did we actually do, especially given the fact that school enrollment in – I'm not going to say all districts, but school enrollment in most districts is going down. People aren't having as many kids nowadays. As you plan for the future, I mean, I, my graduating class in my high school was 500 and some kids. Now I think it's down to like 200 and some kids. I mean, school enrollment, as a general rule, and there might be some exceptions, it's not going up. And yet we're spending all this money in building Taj Mahals. How is that going to play out? Well, don't be surprised if we come to regret it. It's 159. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ. Two hundred eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa, this is one of my pet peeves, and I. So let's. Do you ever go out to like the nicer restaurants where everything is a la carte? You you sit down and you you want a good steak, and the steak is like thirty-five or forty bucks, and you order that. But it doesn't come with a salad yeah. or a potato. You've you've got to spend eight dollars on the salad, and then they charge you like five bucks for the potato on top of the steak. I don't like that. I don't either. I, I just I, it's like the meal to come to me. Well, well, well right, and without ha- it, just okay. It's if extra, you're going to spend forty dollars for the steak. You you think they'd give you a potato? It exactly. probably costs all of about fifteen cents. <laughs> exactly. and, and but it's so it's kind of like one of my. Pet peeves. And I understand the answer is don't go to the restaurant or or whatever. So I I, I get it that you have consumer choices. But it's just – it's one of those things that whenever I go to one of these restaurants and everything's included, it's like – I mean, I don't mind what you charge me, but just – You know, when when you order the meal, you think you're going to kind of get the whole meal, not have to buy stuff piecemeal. So it's kind of like those tapas places where you just get, again, you order a few things and everyone shares off the plate. I don't like that either. Uh huh. I'm not really big. I like to have my own meal. I'm not, and not that I don't like sharing, but if I order a meal, I order a meal. I don't want people picking off my plate. Okay. Well, this is related to something this morning. And it's just, again, you don't have to do this, but it just, it's something that rubs me the wrong way about. Okay, so and this is my 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 wife's grandson, wonderful young man, and uh, he he knows he's getting this, so I'm not giving this away. But you know, she asked him, "What do you want for Christmas?" And he said, uh, "He said, Nana, I'd really like to go to the Brewers on deck thing. You know, the the thing that the Brewers do in January, and I, I'd really like to go." And so Fran calls me up and says, you know, can, can we make that happen? I said, well, I'll, let's, let's buy, let's buy the tickets. And I know a lot of people at the Brewers, maybe I can introduce some, some people in there, but I'm, I'm not going to ask for free tickets or anything. I'm going to buy the tickets. So, um, m- my wife is going to be out of town when that is, it's at the end of January. It's a great event. I mean, I've been yeah. there before and I'm delighted to take him. So I, I figure, okay, um, we'll, We'll get, we'll get four tickets. He's like 11 or 12. He's 11 right now. So they, I, I go to the website to, to buy the tickets. And I think, okay, I'm going to buy four. Hopefully his, his parents will go and, and I'll go and, and we'll buy one for him. So, okay, fine. And it's going to be a Christmas gift. And I, I want, I actually want the tickets because I kind of want to wrap them up and put them in a box, even though, well, Cash probably, wait, I know where now. this is going. Are they electronic tickets? Well, no, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Not no, not yet. But so so I go on the website this morning to buy them. All right, so here's here is the pri- I have this in my hand. The the prices for adults. General admission, 17 bucks. So I buy three adult tickets. 17, stick with me, 34. The third one, 17 takes me up to 51 bucks, right? $51 and then for Kids 14 and under or under 14 or whatever, it's 12. So I I buy one of those. So I order the four tickets, 17, 17, 17, and 12, $63, right? Okay, well, it's not $63. By the time all is said and done, it's $76. Now, how, how did four tickets worth $63 turn into $76? Well, it's because... There is a $2 fee that is attached to each ticket including the, the kids tickets $2 fee so the $17 tickets become $19 and the $12 ticket becomes 14 so work with me 19 19 that's 38 another 19 is 57 and then another 14 that's that's uh you know that's 71 okay so so now we're, we've gone up to $71 cuz there's a $2 fee Attached to each ticket. All right. Well, we're not done with this. So, it's, so now we're at $71. Then they have a order processing fee. Ugh. Now, how this is different than the regular $2 fee I paid for ticket, <laughs> right. I don't know. But there is an order processing fee that adds $3. So now we're at $74. And then they do ask me how I want the tickets delivered. And, I, again, I, I want to... The the cat is out of the bag. He's getting them. But I I wanted the tickets sent to me. So that's an extra $2 to have the tickets sent to me for this thing. So we have gone from six. Now, again, nobody makes me buy this. I, I understand. Nobody makes me buy them. And I guess you could have maybe gone out to Miller Park and gotten them without having to pay for some fees. But $63 in tickets has now turned into $76 because... I wanted to have them sent to me, and God knows what these different fees are, but yes. That's just like when you buy concert tickets as well. The right. concert tickets you know, could be $50, but by the time you're done, you're
8: paying
2: 60 $70 with all the fees included. That is annoying. Jeff?
0: It, it is. Three <laughs> people just sent me notes asking if I would be their grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, I thought it was nice. He wanted to go. I mean, I'm a big That's Brewers free, fan yeah. and stuff. And I thought it, this would kind of be fun. And I mean, I wasn't going to ask anybody for free tickets. I, I can buy them. And I guess, and I'm not, I, I mean, maybe it's $76. It's still a value. But I'm sitting there thinking, how did we go right. from from 63 to 76 for essentially the same thing? Fees here, fees here, fees there. And I guess everybody's got to make a little bit of money, but do they have to make it all at once, and do they have to make it from us, huh? That's the question. All right, when we come back, there's going to be a lot of things that change as a result of what happened on Tuesday. One is what the House of Representatives is going to do with regard to the president. There's something very specific that is going to happen. We will discuss in just a moment. It's two fourteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Oh. 218, Jeff Wagner, W-T-M-J, my producer grew. You were impressed that I was able to do that math in my head. Uh, 19 and 19 is 38 and 19 is 57. And that, Well, thank you. I, I I could do that all in my head here. I've, I'm actually, I'm getting swamped with people who are making the, the same point. Uh, for example, uh, Jeff, I'm going to the night before Christmas. The tickets, $25. And, he's, and he sends me the, the voucher. The ticket is $25. On top of the $25 ticket, Ticket fee, $3.75, sales tax, $1.76, historic preservation fee, $2.75, order fee, $3.70. How that differs from the ticket fee, Lord only knows. But the $25 ticket becomes $36.96 for, for a $25 ticket. And again, I... Yeah. I understand nobody makes you buy it and you, you see this all at the end, but there's something deceptive about saying, okay, the tickets are, are this amount of money, but then you just nickel and dime and you add all these fees. In the case of this person who sent me this note, it's not a $25 ticket to actually get the ticket. It's $36.96. So it's actually, it, it's $12 more. $25 ticket becomes a $37 ticket. Come on. Come on, just, just tell us what the price is and let us make that decision. Okay, there there's no question that there politically there, there's going to be a war, and, and I use that I, I'm I'm use that literal figuratively speaking, not literally, between the the Democrats that now control or will control House of Representatives and the, the Republican president, just like in Wisconsin where you have the Tony Evers is going to be the governor and the Republicans who solidly control the state legislature, you're you're going to have gridlock. I think you're going to have gridlock in in Congress as well. You have Democrats in the House of Representatives who are angry and have been angry for a long time. The people who have been elected in this election tend to be more liberal and more radicalized than some of the people who – no we're in congress before but they're mad as hell and so they're coming with this agenda we're part of the resistance movement and we have no incentive at all to cooperate with Donald Trump over the next 2 years as a matter of fact we want to do everything we can over the next 2 years to make his life hell because we think he's made our lives hell over the last 2 years he was illegitimately elected this is the argument and so we we, we don't want to make it anything we don't want to do anything to make it easier for him to in fact get reelected so we're going to be part of the resistance. You're going to have gridlock, though, because you've got 53, 54 Republican senators, a working margin, and... So, you know, so anything that the House does is going to be kind of canceled out by the Senate and the president uh and, and vice versa. That's just kind of the reality. The one thing that is going to continue to get done is is the appointment of federal judges. And including if there is a vacancy, another vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court, you've now got a working majority of Republicans and, and they they can they can confirm. So that's that's going to happen. But otherwise, I, I don't think you're going to see any legislative changes you're not going to see any more tax reform you're not going to see massive spending because the senate's not going to go along with that you're not going to see any changes in the affordable care act obamacare because the democrats in the house aren't going to do it but what you are going to see because the democrats who control the house don't need the Senate to go along with it, you're going to see investigations and you're going to see pushes and you're going to see things like that. It's not going to be legislation. It's not going to be laws that are going to be enacted. But one of the first things that I think that you're going to see is, you know, you are going to see Democrats demand that President Trump turn over his income tax records. And they're going to do this through, like, the House Ways and Means Committee, etc. They're going to do it through one of their investigative arms, saying, we want to determine whether or not there was Russian collusion, whether the president is a crook, etc. So we're going to demand the disclosure of, of his tax returns. And we're going to issue a subpoena to the president requiring those tax returns be turned over. Predictably, the, the president, I, I think, is going to fight that. And then you're going to be, you know, looking at the courts to decide whether or not the president has to make his tax returns public. And I think it's going to be an extremely ugly fight when it happens. But I wanted to carve out a section just to discuss this. Uh, Almost all former presidents, you have to go back decades and decades to find a president who has not voluntarily disclosed his tax returns. Most of them do because they feel political pressure to do it, and if they don't, they figure they can't get elected. President Trump didn't feel that political pressure. He decides that he doesn't want to disclose what's in his tax returns. I, I don't know why it is. Maybe he's going to believes it shows his net worth is less than it is. Maybe he thinks it's worth more. Maybe he thinks it's going to hurt him in business. Maybe he's afraid that it's going to show that he didn't. People are going to think he didn't pay his fair share in taxes. I don't know but he's decided that he's not going to do it. And that was apparently okay with the voters, at least in 2016. Well, that's not going to be okay with the Democrats who will control the House of Representatives in 2019. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. We're not discussing whether or not President Trump should turn over his tax returns, as in should voluntarily do it. He said he's not going to do it. The question is, should he be required to do it? Should he have to make his tax returns public? 414-799-1620, that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. But should he have to make his tax returns public? 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, what do you think? 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so how would this happen? How could they get his tax returns? Well, there's a 1924 law, 1924, that allows the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee to obtain the tax returns of any American from the Treasury Secretary. So the argument goes, Democrats take over control. So then you have a Democrat who is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He demands the tax returns from the Treasury Secretary, and then they give it to him, and then they leak him and make him public. All right. Should And that's, of course, going to, like, lead to litigation and things like that. But 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 should he have to do it? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Brian in West Allis. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are
7: you doing today?
0: Well well, thank you, sir. What do you think?
5: I think that uh, he should fight it. Um, you know, I mean, there really is no specific law that says that a president or, or a candidate has to disclose right. their
2: taxes. I mean, it,
0: it, right. It's, this it's, would be uh, a backdoor right. way around it. The chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee can ask for anybody's tax return. And in this case, the anybody happens to be the president of the United States. Yeah.
5: Sure. sure. But I think he should fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. And I think I think he will win.
0: I think there's a good likelihood of that. But I guess the flip side would be why? Why? Why shouldn't he? I mean, if he's got nothing to hide. Why not make his tax returns public?
5: Well, I, again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a libertarian in the fact that I don't like the government messing yeah. in my business. And it's, it's none of their business how he makes his money so long right. as it's legal.
0: Right. And if, and if it weren't legal, he would have been indicted or investigated or whatever. No, thanks for call. I mean, that's, I, I, I actually, apart from whether or not it would be a good thing for him to voluntarily do it, he, he hasn't, and he's made that decision, and apparently, at least as of 2016, the American voters, this was an issue back in 2016, the American voters were okay with this, and I guess I don't think it's right to use some sort of backdoor way to force the president to disclose his tax returns, unless the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee is going to say, okay, I want everybody's tax returns, and we're going to make them public. Bob in Plymouth. Hi, Bob.
1: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks what do you think? For talking to
0: me. Sure, thanks for calling.
1: Yeah, I think he should do what the law requires him to do. And if the law doesn't require him to give out his uh tax returns, right. don't give out your tax returns. Right.
0: And the law, I mean, the law doesn't require him to give out his tax returns. The law provides a backdoor way for somebody else to get them, I guess, and then presumably make them public, but I think he should fight that. I don't I guess I don't I, just, I don't think he should have to.
1: He should correct the loophole.
0: Yeah. Now, thanks, calling. I mean, I guess I just – and again, I just I, – I don't think – if if you want to make your tax returns public, that that's fine. And there might be all sorts of reasons why it would be legitimate for him to do that. And I understand there's people that have all these questions about it. But you know what? I think your tax returns are your own business. And just because you decide that you want to be a candidate for public office, whether you're running for governor or president or senator or Congress or – assembly person, or you name it, or local school board, I I don't think that that means that you automatically should be required to make your tax returns public. Now, again, the political issue is there, and and maybe the voters in your district, your area, will say, yeah, we want to see it or we're not going to elect you, but that's then a choice that you get to make. I hope we don't spend the next two years involved in litigation like this, with challenges going up to the Supreme Court about whether or not you can use this backdoor law to try to get the tax returns of the president of the United States. To me that that's just it's a waste of time and it's a waste of spirit on everybody's side. 237 Jeff Wagner WTMJ the Bucks must forget quickly about their loss in Portland the other night because now they're heading to the Bay Area for a matchup with the defending champions it's the Bucks and Warriors with Ted Davis on the call our coverage starts with Buckshots shots 9 tonight be sure to tune that in now grew who's producing the show today and always didn't you think that was an interesting little bit of trivia in that last segment because I mean how many people would know that under a 1924 law, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee has the authority to request anybody's tax returns from the IRS. It, see, isn't that, it, no, no, who would have known that, right? But now, if you listen to this program, you know that. But here, here's, and of course, the language is that the, the, the Treasury Secretary shall furnish this information. So, I mean, theoretically, you could have the, and, and actually this is more in theory than, it's, it's not just theory. I mean, you could have the, the Democrat who's now gonna be the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He could say to the Treasury Secretary, I want the President's tax returns. Give them to me. The law says you shall furnish them to me. And then you know, once they're turned over, you know darn well that then they're gonna be public in a, in a day or so. Somebody will leak them. And, and just, apart from whether or not the President should have followed tradition and had made those public, imagine if Paul when Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, before he was Speaker of the House, was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Imagine if it came out that Paul Ryan, when he was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, was using a 1924 law to demand copies of the tax returns of all the Democrats in, in Congress. And in, in all the Democrats in the state, in the U.S. Senate, uh, imagine, or any of his political opponents. Imagine if he was doing that. Well, you you, you just hear the screams that would be going on. Wait, it's, this is this is the Nixon White House. This is using the IRS to, you know, try to, you know, get up, dig up dirt on opponents and stuff like that. There would be outrage. But since if the shoe is on the other foot, potentially now it's like, well, you know, we want to see what Trump says because, you know, we think maybe there's evidence of criminality that's in there and we want to know this. So we're going to do it. If, if this happens, it's going to be a major league. It's going to be a major league battle. And I, I think in this particular case, I, I think the president, regardless of whether or not he should voluntarily turn him over, I think he has every right to fight this. I, I want to share with you, Interestingly, there's been a lot of conversation about what what did the elections mean on on Tuesday? A, A lot of it, I think, kind of misses the point somewhat. And there's an interesting editorial in The Wall Street Journal today. Now, as a general rule. I, I don't read you, you know, editorials or other columns and stuff. You tune in to hear my opinion on stuff. But but every once in a while, there's something that I think really hits home. And particularly, a lot of times, the stuff in the Wall Street Journal is behind a paywall, so people don't get access to it. But I, it's something that I think some Republicans and conservatives don't want to hear. But I think it raises an interesting point. The, the piece that's in today's paper, it's called Trump's Minority Coalition. President Trump's political credo is never admit a mistake or a setback. And on Q Wednesday, he called the midterm election results a tremendous success. Perhaps he even believes it, but he shouldn't. The results weren't the blue wave um, of media and democratic desire, but they were overall a GOP defeat with warnings for 2020. Democrats won the House for the first time in eight years, meaning that the possibilities for conservative policy reform are dead for the next two years. The siege of investigations will begin, and anti-growth mistakes are all too possible. The Senate gains for consolation, especially because they show Democrats paid a considerable price for their mugging of Brett Kavanaugh. This will make it easier to confirm judicial and political nominees and will give the GOP some leverage in spending fights. But except for Florida and Arizona... The Senate gains came in Trump-friendly states. GOP Senate candidates were wiped out across the upper Midwest, the Northeast, and Nevada. Democrats also made substantial gains in the state, notably those that were crucial to Donald Trump's 2016 victory. They picked up seven governorships, including Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Kansas, and Nevada. A decade of GOP reform on taxes, school choice, and public unions is in jeopardy. GOP victories in Florida, Ohio, and maybe Georgia are compensations, but Democrats in those states nominated candidates too far to the left. Republicans held their own, for the most part, in rural districts and Trump states from 2016 while Democrats romped in cities. Most ominously for their future, Republicans lost the House because they lost significant ground in the suburbs, especially relatively affluent areas with college-educated voters. The GOP lost House seats in the suburbs of Denver, Dallas, Houston, Des Moines, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Chicago, Richmond, Phoenix, and even Oklahoma City. At his media melee on Wednesday, Mr. Trump read the names of some of those House members with vindictive delight because he said they didn't want his embrace. This was petty and not smart. Eric Paulson in the Twin Cities, Peter Roskam west of Chicago, and Barbara Comstock in Northern Virginia understood that Mr. Trump is unpopular in their districts. They were trying to save seats the GOP will now have to win back if they want another majority in 2020. The House defeat is also a message from moderate Republicans and independents, especially women put off by Mr. Trump's rancorous style. Unlike Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan, Mr. Trump has made no effort to build a larger coalition than the minority to help them win the presidency narrowly over Hillary Clinton. Instead, he has played constantly to his base, who are already loyal. If he wants to be reelected, he will have to win over more suburban Republicans And independence, you know, and then it goes on and says, "Okay, you know, here's here's the deal. And then it continues and wraps up. Two years ago, before the 2016 election, we wrote that the Republican gamble with Donald Trump was that he'd govern in such a chaotic way that he'd lose the House in 2018 and set Democrats up to create a new progressive government in 2020. If he doesn't expand his coalition, that's what Mr. Trump will deliver. And I, I think that's a message that some people don't want to hear, but that it's exactly right. There wasn't a blue wave on Tuesday. There, there, just, there, there wasn't. But it's not to say that Democrats didn't win victories. And so now the question is going to become, where do we go over the next two years? And if you just play to the hardcore base, what that means is you go down to electoral defeat in 2020, whether we're talking about the Democrats or we're talking about the Republicans. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, I want to talk about cord cutting. Stick around. 248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I freely admit I am not an early adopter when it comes to a a lot of stuff. I'm also one of these people that I I just, I I, I go home, I I turn on the television. I love all the different choices. I was one of the last people, I think, in America to go to the Netflix choice, Um, but I I love having all the different channels, even though there's lots of channels that I've I've never watched. I, but I, I like that. I am not a cord cutter, but I am. I'm beginning to think I am in the minority. Here is the story: Cable and satellite TV providers lost about 1.1 million subscribers during the July to September period, the largest quarterly loss ever. And the first time the industry lost more than one million subscribers in a quarter, DISC DISH like, like DISH DISH lost three hundred and forty one thousand subscribers in the third quarter. A year ago, they had added sixteen in the same quarter. Overall, uh, so okay, three hundred forty one thousand lost year before they had gained sixteen thousand. Um, let's see, AT Said DirecTV lost a net of essentially three hundred thousand subscribers during the quarter, and it goes on and on. Cable TV providers lost about two hundred and ninety-three thousand for the quarter, as you know, more and more people are just cutting the cords and saying, "Okay, we we don't need all these full-time pay TV services." We only have a couple minutes, but I'm fascinated by this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Have you cut the cord? And, and do you miss it? And, and how are you replacing this? Um, the, the idea, are, are you able to get by with, Hey, I, I've got Netflix or, or maybe I, I've just gone, I've gone to one of these computer based things. I've got Hulu or, or whatever, and I'm able to get by fine. It is. Is the old style, and I, I mean, I I just remember when, you know, cable TV, and when I talk about cable TV, I'm talking generically, cable, satellite, all those pay TV things. I I remember in the beginning when these things came out, and it was the greatest thing since canned beer, and it's, my God, I'm not just stuck to three of the channels and maybe a couple of things on UHF. I've got all these different choices that are out there. H- have we gotten tired of this? And is this a model that doesn't work moving forward, or at least... Doesn't have an appeal for people moving forward, just like, all right, people don't get home delivery of the newspaper anymore. 414 799 1620. Have you cut the cord, and do you miss it? Let's start with Rick in Mosquito. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, John. Hi, Rick.
5: Um, yeah, I was about a month ago. I was, in fact, it was during the Brewers' trip for their playoff run. I was over at my nephew's house, and we finished watching the game, and he mentioned that we had just watched on uh, YouTube TV, and I'm like, really? That's. <laughs> like the picture was great had a channel guide and everything. Uh, next week I signed up for the for, for the free week. I uh, loved it and I um, dumped uh, direct TV.
0: okay and so I mean YouTube TV you' so obviously what do you do just like kind of hook it up to your 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 computer well, so Is...
5: you can either no you can watch like my two of my TVs are smart TVs. right you Just have an app that you, uh right. that you download and you watch it like a normal TV then. Um, the other ones that don't have it, I, uh, just bought one of those, um, Rokus. Right,
0: the, the, the like, sticks that you attach to at yeah, the back, you yeah.
5: That in and then you watch it through that. And it, so you're watching it on your TVs. You can watch it on a computer. You can watch it on my phone. During the playoffs, it was great. If I was at work, I'd put it up on one. Computer screen, do you,
0: do you that miss other. some of the channels that you had to give up or not really The
5: only channels i had to give up were hctv and the food channel oh. <laughs> um, and which you know my wife's not crazy about losing hctv but but you're also saving a hundred dollars a month
0: yeah okay thanks so you were able to live with it yep let's talk to jordan in sheboygan jordan you're on wtmj good afternoon
4: very good afternoon yeah we me and my wife actually just cut the cord um this past this monday actually and We're going to sign up for one of the streaming services, but when it came down to it, this is probably the third year in a row I've received a notice that my account was going to be increased to uh, nearly $200. And when it comes down to it, I'm not willing to pay that extra handful of cash just to watch, you know, an additional two shows.
0: Right. So you haven't, you don't think you're going to miss some of the shows that you're going to have to give up?
4: No, no, Mm -hmm. not by any means. And if we do, miss an extra one like the previous caller said it's not worth that additional additional 75 to 100 dollars to watch a show for 30 minutes once a week
0: now you still pay obviously you have to pay for the internet service but you don't so you still have that you just don't have the the other stuff the tv that's attached to it
4: yep yep exactly so they just went ahead and said okay this is what your bill is going to be on a monthly basis from here on out i mean by the time we're said and done the service that we're looking at changing to is about 40 dollars a month so I think that at the end of the day, we're saving close to 85 to to $100 a month. That's huh. a no-brainer.
0: Interesting. Now, thanks, for the call And by, by the way, for people out there who work for the cable companies, like, I'm not advocating this. I'm I'm one of the guys who, again, has that full-service type of thing. But it is this is the new trend. And I guess the question becomes, is this a fad? Will people come back? Or 10 years from now, is this going to be the future? Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff. Hi Jim.
7: My wife and I cut the cord three years ago. We've saved over a thousand dollars a year on it. We don't miss what uh, we had before because we, you know, hardly ever looked at the two hundred channels, right. and
0: we love it. And uh, I just. Uh, so what do you have in its place? I mean, you still watch we, TV, I assume.
7: Well, we yeah. have over-the-air TV, right. and uh, we put a giant honking uh, antenna in our uh, attic, and um, also um, we have Roku. Okay. And we have Amazon Prime which we got not for the content but for the shipping. Right. And uh we watch the content as kind of an uh an okay. ad plus but yeah, we love it and
0: uh Okay. Do you uh, how about are you able to get live sporting events? Uh
3: not well, just uh-huh. over the air. Okay, and, right. Uh, don't okay. Miss the other stuff. Right.
0: Okay, you now good enough. So I mean, you, you give these things up, and it's a question of you know what's important and what's not. We're gonna—I'm I'm kind of up against the clock. I'm sorry. We're gonna revisit this at some point in time again. This isn't a knock on cable TV. Believe me, look at my bill every month. It's—it's it's merely one of the trends. And the last quarter for cord cutters, that was the big story. Stick around. Two fifty-five, Jeff Wagner.